Hi, I'm Susan Raff, and welcome to Real Talk. I want to say welcome back. I haven't done a podcast probably in a few weeks. I was on vacation, and also the legislative session has started and is now really kicking into full gear. And I wanted to welcome everybody back with a topic I think that affects all of us, right? Pretty much all of us drive, and we are on the roads And the sad reality is that Connecticut apparently has a drinking problem. And what we are seeing now on our roads is uh, an increase in drunk driving. And there are many things that are being proposed and are being done to try to mitigate some of that damage. And some of the numbers you're going to hear today may actually surprise you. So without further ado, I want to welcome the commissioner for the Department of Transportation, Garrett Ucolito. Hi, thanks for having me, Susan. Thank you. And you're fairly new uh, to this position, although you've been with DOT for a while, but it seems that this has really become your top priority. It is. Yeah. Uh, So safety is my top priority. You know, everything we do at the DOT, um, safety comes first. Our job is to ensure that everyone has a a safe uh, passage on our roadways um, and they can get to where they're going safely and make it there. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not happening for a lot of people. passing through our state or who live in our state. Last year alone, we had 386 people die on our roadways in Connecticut, which was, I think, a 30-year high in terms of deaths on our roadways. And it's just unacceptable. I think that is so surprising. And one of the things that I learned, and in fact, from you and some others, is that when it comes to uh, alcohol-related fatalities, Connecticut is now third in the country. We are. Yeah, we um. 40% of all of our fatalities on our roadways were tied to impaired driving. Um, and, you know, that makes us third in the nation. And a few years ago, we were first. Um, so we're always in the top five um, numbers. And it's just, it's shocking for to a lot of people. They don't realize that unless you're impacted personally by a drunk driver, you may not, you assume most people don't do that. Most people don't make that decision, but it's, From the numbers, it's showing that a lot of people are making that choice to get behind the wheel when they're drunk or high. I think it's surprising and sobering on many levels because we've come, uh, I I would like to say we've come so far, but I guess that's incorrect. Uh, The fact that, you know, we've had so much education over the years to drunk driving in our schools. And also now there are so many alternatives, right? So besides the education awareness that, you know, pick a designated driver before you go out, you know, people now have Uber and Lyft and a variety of other ways to uh, get home. Why are people just not using that? Or are they and just not enough? I think it's, it's both. I think people are using it, just not enough, right? I think there is this uh, false uh, sense of comfort uh, that people think, oh, I'm just going down the street or, you know, I've only had a few drinks. I'm okay. I, I you know, I'm not drunk. I'm just buzzed, uh, something like that. Um, but in a lot of our communities, we do have the options. You can call a taxi or an Uber or a Lyft. It's, it's on your phone. It's an app on your phone. If you don't have that, then you can call a family member or do the old school way. You, ha- you tap someone as your designated driver, right? That's a, when I was in college, we would, Every party, someone was a DD, um, and they made up for it the next time we went out, right? So You'd like to uh, believe that people have come far. You may have tapped uh, on something or touched on something. You know, someone recently told me, a professional, said, oh, I went out and had three martinis. And I said, oh, well, I hope you didn't drive. And he told me he did. And I said, really? 
He goes, well, I wasn't going far. And I said, well, I don't care if you're going next door. Um, you know, the fact is you shouldn't be behind a wheel. So we've let our guard down. Do you think the pandemic had something to do with it? Yeah, I think the pandemic definitely had a shift for people um, uh, mentally, emotionally, right? I think a lot of people are stressed um, and and have had uh, issues with substances uh, pop up. Um, we, we saw nationally uh, traffic fatalities increase um, from the pandemic till now. It's not just Connecticut, it's, it's nationally. And when you look at the root causes of it, the infrastructure, the roadways did not change. The like the roads did not become infrastructurally more dangerous. The drivers did. And I'm not discounting that we need to do a lot more work to make our roadways safer, putting in sidewalks and, and bike lanes and fixing a lot of the dangerous designs we have on our roadways. But people are also driving more dangerously. They're speeding they're going through red lights and they're driving drunk and high. Um, so something happened during the pandemic. Researchers are trying to figure out why people are are disregarding societal norms and driving more recklessly. Right. I want to share with you a story. I know we have a lot to, to cover here today, but I uh, was given the opportunity to talk to uh, a couple of Farmington parents whose son was killed by a drunk driver coming back from uh, the Xfinity Theater. And to your point, I mean, this person who uh, hit him and killed him uh, was not someone who had one too many, but had been tailgating and drinking outside the concert for some time and um, then proceeded to drive 82 miles an hour. And this is according to the police report uh, and went through a red light. So these are pretty dramatic uh, cases. And these are not people who have been drinking and are, you know, kind of going really slow in the right lane. And not that ma that makes it right either. Uh, but these are horrific crashes. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 level of impact that these types of crashes can have on the individual cars are designed to keep you safe to a certain design threshold. Right. Your airbags, seatbelts, cars are becoming safer. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of people feel comfortable in their cars because we have all this technology in there but they cannot protect you when someone is going that fast with a very heavy vehicle, um, that, that type of impact, uh, you can't survive that. One of the proposals that came out recently uh, was that to lower the blood alcohol, the legal BAC, uh, which is now 0 0.08 uh, to 0.05. And I know that the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board supports that. I believe you do as well. But let's be honest here. I mean, only one uh, other state, Utah, I believe, has done that. And we have a hard time uh, just getting 0.08 people off the road. If we if we go to that level, I mean, is that really an option? I think it's an option. I, I'm, I'm glad that the legislature is taking up the bill and uh, allowing us to have the conversation. It's a proposal that our department brought to the legislature this session because we felt the time's right to start discussing it. We saw what's happening with drunk driving um, and we saw what happened in Utah. And I hear a lot of people say, well, Utah is different, right? They don't have the same type of drinking culture, which is true, but they have a lot of tourism. Um, their economy is very dependent on tourism. A lot of people go out there. Um, and so what NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, did is they looked at what happened in Utah when they changed, passed this law um, and compared it to other states in the nation. And so Utah had... After they passed the law, their fatal crashes declined 19%. The rest of the nation only declined around 5%. 
So even when you compare them to other states equalized, um, they had a much sig more significant drop in fatal crashes. Um, I know it's a tough conversation, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's worth having because it raises awareness of the, the risks of drunk driving. And I think the other thing people need to realize is the officer who identifies impairment on the roadways, they're already trained through their training to identify impairment no matter what level it is. So they will see you driving erratically and they'll pull you over. Um, and it's based on just your driving patterns or how you're behaving behind the wheel. It's not based on a specific 0.0 percentage, right? It's based on your behavior. So it's really 0.05, reducing it to 0.05. 100 different countries have 0.05 or below. Um, we are kind of an outlier in the, in the developed world. Um, and most of those other countries drink more than us. Uh, they just make the right decision before they get behind the wheel. Right. But I think some of those countries, and in fairness, and if you look at bigger cities, for example, you know, where there's more public transportation. So, you know, in New York or wherever, you know, where you can have many different options, you don't see the level of, uh, you know, DUI as much as we do here. So that's always going to be a challenge. And I think lowering the BAC is going to be a challenge. I also wanted to address something that um, has come up many times, and that unfortunately also uh, is disappointing, and that is wrong way crashes. You know, we yep. used to hear about that every so often, and now it seems uh, it's a lot. And a majority of those are also caused by impaired driving and not just alcohol. There's marijuana involved and sometimes both. Yeah, no, it's true. So um, we saw a huge uptick in wrong way driving crashes in Connecticut. It jumped up 500% last year, uh, right? That's just astounding. That's that, that's almost impossible to consider a jump of 500%. Uh, there were 13 wrong way crashes in 2022 with 23 fatalities. Uh, it's just tragic because those are some of the most violent, tragic types of crashes you have on our roadways. When we went back and looked at the data going back to 2018, of every single crash, a fatal wrong way crash, uh, where they tested the, the driver for drugs and alcohol, Every single one of them, there were 31 of those crashes since 2018. Every single one of them, except for two, were drunk. Um, and then a, a large number of them, not the majority, but a large number of them also had other substances in their system. So, you know, that's shocking. And so that drives home the point that um, if you want to stop wrong way driving, we have to combat impaired driving. Now, we can't rest on that alone. We need to make the other types of investments that can help stop confused drivers, um, drivers who have poor visibility uh, because of weather. So what we're doing at the DOT, thanks to the legislature is and the governor, we have $20 million. We're investing in some infrastructure improvements to make it more clear to people when they're pulling onto the wrong way on a highway that they're going the wrong way. They need to turn around. Right. We went to one of those um, uh, areas and I think you're doing 120 different off ramps, right? Uh, yep. To more bells and whistles. So there are more signs, uh, cameras to uh, set off lights if someone is going the wrong way. And I think ultimately you talked about maybe doing rumble strips or something at those intersections. So that would be in addition to another warning sign, right? Exactly. So um, the camera technology we're using today, uh, right now, we have, we identified 236. Uh, ramps that are, are high risk. 
We believe we have enough funding in place to do 120 of them. Uh, and so it's going to involve a camera. It detects someone going the wrong way. It'll do flashers telling them they're going the wrong way. But the legislature has been talking to us about using additional technology, um, such as uh, testing out some rumble strips that will, it's not in use anywhere yet in the country. Um, we, we still need to test it and see whether it's feasible, but it will, if you're going the correct way, you won't notice anything. If you go the wrong way, it'll rumble your car. Um, so we want to test that technology, um, see if it works, um, and see what else is out there, such as inlaid pavement markings, which will appear red if you're going the wrong way, or white if you're going the correct way. And I think there are some misnomers out there. You know, a lot of people hear wrong way crashes, and they think elderly drivers. And that's really not the case, is it? I mean, first of all, a lot of these wrong way crashes um, occur very late at night. Yeah. And we all were saddened this year over the loss of Representative Quentin Williams, uh, yeah. who was killed uh, the night that he was coming back from the governor's inauguration, the same day that he was sworn into another term. And I don't know, uh, the police report still has not uh, come out. There's been a lot of speculation. Uh, but that, again, was a horrific crash. I mean, he hit him head on. Uh, to the point where his car was knocked off the road and was on fire. Yeah, they are very violent crashes. Um, you know, the loss of, of Representative Williams, uh, an up-and-comer, uh, a visionary for, for the city of Milltown. It's a tragedy. I know it really hit a lot of people in the General Assembly really hard. Um, and it, it's helped bring focus to this issue of what's happening on our roadways. And they're, you're right, it's not, people assume that most of these crashes are caused by an elderly driver who gets confused behind the wheel, and that's not the case. They're happening late at night. Um, the data shows that uh, the vast majority of them are impaired drivers, both with alcohol and in many cases, a different substance, um, and uh, sometimes a mix of substances, not just one. It's pretty scary when you look at that history of what's in people's systems when they're behind the wheel. One of the other proposals I'd heard, and yes, it is very sad. I knew Representative Quentin Williams. Um, you know, we did some work together on a nonprofit. And his death really came as a huge shock and, and sadness to so many. So maybe in some way uh, his death will uh, push, uh, you know, this in the forefront uh, of our lives and do something uh, about it. But another proposal was to have um, more education with driver's ed, Right. And not to be cynical, we've had so much education uh, already. And so what else can be done or what can you what can people learn while they're, you know, taking a driving course? It's a great question. So uh, the Vision Zero Council that was created a couple of years ago in which I chair, um, there was an education subcommittee and uh, a lot of the recommendations they came forward with. They pointed to the fact that many of us go through. Um, we get our license at 16 or 17, and that's the last time you do education in a formal setting, right? You don't you don't learn about any new updates to the traffic safety laws. Um, so it's fallen on um, us at the Connecticut DOT for many years to we'll do education campaigns around the risks of certain things. So when the legislature a couple of years ago passed major changes to pedestrian safety laws, um, we we spent some money, did a, a multimedia campaign about what those new laws are and how you can adhere to them. Um, but, you know, that doesn't reach everyone. We, we, we broadcast on TV, we do social media, we do print ads, but it doesn't reach everyone. So I think it's worth having a discussion about how can we reach people um, to ensure that they get updates to what the new laws are. 
maybe it's something what the Vision Zero Council subcommittee recommended is if you're going to go renew your license, maybe you walk, you can do it online now. It's easy, right? Maybe you can just watch a quick video online about some new updates to the traffic safety laws and you can't renew it until you watch that video. Something as simple as that is worth discussing. We're going to keep talking to experts around the country, but uh, I think, you know, sometimes too much, um, too many ads about drunk driving or seatbelts, it gets drowned out as background noise to people. So we need to find different ways to break through um, and really get in front of them with this education. Right. And as we, you know, talked about earlier was, uh, you know, so many alternatives, you know, for all those who go out and party or go to concerts, you know, you can call your parents, you can call a friend, you can, you call Uber or Lyft, you can sleep in your car. There are so many alternatives that really weren't available uh, years ago. Certainly Uber and Lyft was, you know, they were not around when I was, you know, in right. high school and college or whatever. Uh, yeah. But so I think that, that that conversation has to be had, that that is the last thing that you want to do if you've been drinking is to get behind the wheel of the car. Exactly. Yeah. We're trying to work with um, bars and restaurants. We've been doing some product placement ads for uh, encouraging people, get a ride home, call call a ride share or a taxi, um, putting little table tents at some of the bars during heightened seasons uh, to remind people don't get behind the wheel uh, because we're hopeful that even if you stop one person, that can save one life. And before I let you go, I have to ask you what role you think legalizing marijuana plays in all of this. Um, you know, we have found in some of the wrong way crashes that people are buzz driving. Um, how concerned are you that, you know, we could see a problem that is already uh, intensified get even worse as we see more people driving high on our roads? So we're going to need to get some more data on that. Um, the problem is that cannabis stays in your system. So even if after there's a crash, if they test the individual and they notice that there was cannabis in their system, it could have been there from a few weeks ago. And there's no way to know whether they were impaired by marijuana or, or alcohol or, or, right? All of them are showing Different. alcohol, mm -hmm. but cannabis is in a large number of them as well, as is fentanyl and others um, in the system. So we need to do better research working with our sister states. Um, but the other thing we are trying to do is raise awareness for people. You know, a lot of people, a lot of young people think that they drive better when they're high on marijuana because they are, they go slower, right? That's, that's completely false. We need to break through that misinformation. Um, we're running ad campaigns, just reminding people, Hey, it's legal now, but if you get behind the wheel and you're high, that's a DUI still. Um, and so, a lot of education effort is going to be needed there. Um, we're going to need to partner with the cannabis industry and try and partner with them to spread awareness there um, and just continue to drive home that message that don't get behind the wheel if you're high. It's the same thing as driving drunk and it's just as deadly. Well, thank you. I think uh, that's, you know, some good advice. And I hope that, um, you know, the state follows up with that because, you know, it, it is something that people think it's not that big of a deal. It's natural. Uh, but, you know, it is a concern, especially when we're seeing so many people uh, just driving without really taking the time to think about what's what's going on before they actually go someplace. Exactly. So thank you for this sobering conversation, but I think it's an important one. I think people need to understand. I mean, I again, when I tell people that Connecticut is third in the country, they they can't believe it. So we definitely have a problem and uh, I hope you, we find a solution to it. 
Yes. Thank you for having me. And thank you for raising awareness to this issue. Thank you, Commissioner Ucalito. Thank you for joining us on Real Talk. And we'll be back soon with more. Take care, everybody.